If you have your Bible, I invite you to open to the passage that Pastor Justin read from a little bit ago, Isaiah chapter 6. When you go to Isaiah chapter 6, you see that it opens up talking to us a little bit about a king. His name is Uzziah. Uzziah became king when he was 16 years old. That's pretty young to be a king, isn't it? But he was a fellow who loved God and walked with God, honored God, and his decisions were right. He was seeing a lot of good things happen. Somewhere along the way, Uzziah decided he wasn't going to follow God as closely and do some things his, his own way. And so he went into the temple one day, doing things his own way. As he moved into the temple, he ate some of the bread he wasn't supposed to. He did some of the stuff he was not designed to do. He did not stay in his own lane, even though he was king. As a result of that, the priest chewed him out royally. But beyond that, as he was leaving the temple, God took care of business by putting a leprosy dot right on his forehead, and he would die from that. God doesn't always instantaneously bring judgment. In the Old Testament, very often he did. Sometimes we living right now wish God would. We think of those people, but be careful before you throw a stone. They may have already thrown one at you. Oh, nobody in this service, but the people in first service. I had that in my message, so I just went ahead and said it. But in this case, he he died. It's amazing how God will use events of our life to sometimes get our attention. And when he gets our attention, it's always for a reason, for a purpose, When he gets our attention, it's always because he wants to communicate something to us. Generally, he's going to either point something out or he wants to take us higher. Sometimes he points something out and he wants to take us higher. And God wants to do all of these things. And so in this event, whenever the king died, Uzziah realized something. He no longer had access to the king. He no longer had access to the person who was sitting on the throne, specifically in the friendship as he had before. He could not pull the string. It wasn't his guy in the White House. God got his attention. It was at the death of my grandfather in 1979 that God got my attention big time and said, do you want to go my way or do you want to go your way? And I said, I'll go your way. And I decided to follow God with my whole heart as a teenage guy. In 1995, when my father passed away, I stood at the casket and I looked at him, a wonderful man who followed the Lord, and I thought about the things he valued, and I thought about the things that he had done. I thought about the worries he had. I thought about the commitments he had. And I looked and I said, is this all there is? And I said, I want my life to count. For as long as you give me life, God, I'll give all of it, every part of it, and I've lived wide open in my life for God ever since just to do whatever I felt he'd have me do and say yes to him. You can live bold or bashful. I said, I'll live bold. I'm going all in, all out. It's all for you, all the time. Here I go. Isaiah had one of these encounters. We probably won't have an encounter quite like he had, but he has a vision, and the vision unfolds, and as it unfolds, it shows him God. It also shows him himself. It shows him the people around him in his nation, And then it shows him a future. And so today, let's take the path with him and look at this 
as it unfolds before us. First, we notice in verses 1 through 4, Isaiah looked to the Lord. Let's look at what he sees when he looks to the Lord. He sees God in all of his splendor in this vision. God is seated high on his throne, pure and holy with all of his attributes, omnipotence, all power, omniscient, all knowledge. He is everywhere, all the time, omnipresent. He is truth. He is love. He sees all of these great, great attributes of God, and he looks at them, and he sees in this august moment, God is seated on the throne, and God's train is filling the temple. It's not Uzziah filling the temple. It's not the priest filling the temple. Nope. It is Isaiah seeing God fill the temple. God in his rightful place. God in the place he ought to be. God doing what God does. He is the centerpiece seated on the throne. It's a royal moment. It's a holy moment. It's a splendid moment. He can't get past what he's seeing. Then he sees some angels. Now the Bible talks about various angels. Maybe you're married to an angel. Maybe your uh, child is an angel. But I'm sorry, we're passing them today. We're going on to the angels in heaven. One group of angels are called seraphim. Seraphim, if they were here today, we would recognize them. They have one face, and they have six wings. With two of the wings, they cover their face. With two of the wings, they cover their feet. I believe that would be representative of reverence. They're in the presence of God. They have two more wings. Those wings are preparing them for readiness to fly. They're ready to go serve whatever you want me to do. Whatever you would have me do, this is what I want to do. And so he sees them in this presence of God. This is an overwhelming moment. As a matter of fact, the Bible says to us in Hebrews 2, verse 7 and 9, it talks to us and it, it indicates to us that we are made a little lower than the angels, yet they are in the presence of God. So let's see what Isaiah hears in this vision. As he is here looking at the Lord, he sees the seraphim and he sees God and the angels are singing and their song is in verse 3. We sang a little of it a little bit ago. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. All the mountains, all the waterways, all the valleys, all the trees, all the animals, everything, it is giving glory to Almighty God. And then look at verse 4 of your passage there. It says, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. He sees the trembling of the doorway, the door jammed. He sees the threshold shaking as though an earthquake has happened due to the presence of Almighty God. And he says, the whole temple is filled with smoke. This is an amazing moment when he, there in the presence of God, realizes the august reality that God is higher than us, that God is more than us, that God is all-sufficient, all-powerful, eternal God. He always was, he is, and he always will be. He is God. So before Uzziah was king, there's God. When Uzziah was king, there's God. After Uzziah is king, there's God. For our generation, same story. One day we're gone. God is still God. And he is the one who is high and lifted up. And Isaiah gets to see him in these moments. A.W. Tozer, a writer, said it this way. If you can understand God, if I can understand him, then I cannot worship him. I will never get on my knees and say, holy, 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 to that which I can figure out. But then Isaiah looked 
at himself. Look at verse 5. Isaiah is looking at himself now in this moment. You kind of wonder, am I dressed appropriately? Am I coming in here in a way I should? And in these moments here, he is seeing himself, and he describes himself. Look at verse 5. I am ruined. This is what he says. This isn't about his self-esteem. This is a reality of where he sees himself. It's a self-evaluation. He looks at himself and he says, I'm ruined in these moments here. And then he explains his ruinedness. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Dr. David McKenna defined it this way, to the people in the audience, they would understand something different than you and I. Lips spoke about motives of the heart. Lips speak about the decisions of the will. Here he is, a prophet, and he says, I've had unclean motives. They have expressed my unclean will. And he sees this when he's in the presence of God. Isn't it something? When we get into the presence of God, whether it's praying, driving down the road, and maybe God comes into the cabin of your car, you sense the presence of God, and there while you're experiencing him, you're wondering, man, God, how do you see me? Isaiah looks at himself. He realizes in verse 5 that he has drifted spiritually from the person he should be. He realizes that he is being convicted for the unclean will and the unclean way that he has been living in his heart and in his mind. And he realizes that he's cooled off and that he has drifted from God. It's a self-discovery. It's a self-abandonment now. As he says, I don't want to be that way anymore. I want to let go of that which I don't need, God. I want to let go of that which is hindering me. I want to unhook from all that stuff that would take me further from you. And I want you to take me closer to you and to the person you want me to be. When we stop reading our Bible, when we stop praying, when we stop attending church, when we stop singing the songs of the faith, we begin to experience a drift in our heart. It happens to me, it happens to you. It happens to every one of us if we allow ourselves to begin the process of drifting. And in the Lord's faithfulness, he sent this moment to wake him up. And in the Lord's faithfulness to you, he'll send something to wake you up. He does this to me, and, and he wants to get our attention about something. He wants us to see what he is about. On that fateful day of 9-11, Todd and Lisa Beamer had a hug and a kiss goodbye. They had just finished a trip to Italy. They had two children and one on the way. And he got on the plane and was headed to Northern California. The plane did a U-turn out over Cleveland. And they realized they were hijacked. He got on the air phone and he called to the operator. And he described the situation. Our plane's been taken over. And the operator explained that planes have already struck buildings in New York and the Pentagon, and your plane could be involved in something like this too. They realize the graveness of the moment. And so they put him in touch with the FBI in the call, patched him through and let him talk. But when he talked to the operator, as he was finishing up his conversation, he said, I want you to tell my wife that I love her. 
And then he said, I want you to pray the Lord's Prayer with me. The things that mattered most. All the window dressing of his life was now gone. He's dealing with the reality that he is probably not here very much longer. For if they continue to fly, they're going to die. If they take over the plane and ground it, they're going to die as well. Their fate is already sealed. And so he said, I want you to pray the prayer. His wife in an interview later, Lisa, as they're Christians, people of faith, went to Wheaton College. He taught Sunday school every Sunday. Great people of the faith, just like you. She said, if he would have that Lord's Prayer, and that part that says, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. She said, somewhere in my heart, I want to do like Todd did. And I want to forgive those that did to him what they did on that day. I want to forgive them. Isaiah's had a vision. And in the presence of God, he realizes God is his only hope. And he realizes that he wants to call out to God. And that's what I'm doing as a pastor today, is calling our church to pray for our nation. We have a 31-day prayer guide for the nation. It'll give you a guide over the next 31 days. I encourage you to take this and perhaps at a mealtime, guide your whole family through it. Don't take long. Don't do it while the meal is getting cold. But do this maybe after you've finished eating. And then pray a moment for our nation. It'll guide you so you don't just pray a one-string prayer. Same thing all the time. It will help you get a panoramic prayer. And I encourage you to take this. As you'll be going out, they'll have them at the door for you. Isaiah, in these moments, looks at himself, and he's sending up a prayer to God and saying, I need you to help me out. And then Isaiah looks at the people around him. You see, a lot of times we don't want to look at ourselves. A lot of times we don't want to own what we see. A lot of times we don't want to pause and see that we might be part of the problem. We want to blame it on our spouse. We want to blame it on our kids. We want to blame it on our employer. A lot of times we want to blame it on somebody else. Oh, not this service, but first service. You should have heard them. We want to blame it on the nation. We want to blame it on whoever's in office. We want to blame it on this one, and we want to blame it on that one. It's the nature of the human being and the human existence. It's a condition of the heart. We want to always blame it on someone else. But notice the sequence. He looks up at God and sees him for who he is. And in this vision, he sees himself and does a self-evaluation, and he sees himself for who he is. And then in these moments, after he's looked at God, and then after he's cleaned up his own doorstep, he looks around. He looks around, and he sees the people around him, and he sees that he has not impacted or affected them as a follower of God, but they indeed have impacted and affected him. They have infected him. His decisions, his motives did not reflect God, but they reflected the world around him. He didn't speak of hope and faith and the holiness of God. But instead, he spoke like the people of the world speak. He did not stir the people toward God, but he allowed them to complacently live their life apart from God. This is who he sees himself. And now he sees the people around him. He has said, woe is me. But now he's saying, woe are they. And he says, oh my stars, we must do something about this. He says, we can do better. We must come back to God. He says, I live 
among people of unclean lips, unclean motives, impure hearts, wills that are not right. I live among them. Now, a lot of times we think about the people that have done big sins. We think about whatever we think of as a big sin. And we may go to the Ten Commandments and think of some of those big sins, right? And so we start thinking about these people that have done some things like murder or maybe they've done other things. And we think of those things. But I have a feeling that most of you sitting across this congregation are not going to give yourself to those things. But yet you still call yourself by the name of Jesus. I want to ask you, are you reflecting Jesus when you go to the places you go to? When you go sit down and present your presentation? When you go to the meetings in the community? And when you participate at your college dorm or in your high school gatherings, do you live like Jesus? When you negotiate the contract with somebody, do you live like Jesus? When you're going to the grocery store, do you live like Jesus? At your house, do you live like Jesus? Or is there not enough evidence to convict you of being a follower of Jesus? I don't know the answer to this question, but I bet you do. When you get into the presence of God and you begin to see him for who he is, and you begin to see yourself, you begin to realize, oh boy, <laughs> I need to look at who God is wanting me to become, and then I need to become more like him. I went to Hobby Lobby the other day. Over at Hobby Lobby, I was looking for Christmas puzzles. I like to put Christmas puzzles together, and I don't want yours. I'll get my own. <laughs> you might have sneezed on them while you were putting them together, and I had no time for your puzzle. <laughs> If you want some of mine I put together, I may have sneezed on them, but you're welcome to them. But I went over to another section while I was waddling through the store. And at this other section, whatever section this was in, Kurt, this is what I got. I saw it and said, oh, wow, I need that for my message Sunday. That works. I'm calling you to be like Christ. So let's think about just some basics, all right? You can't see it all up there, so let me read it to you. Always be honest. Your mama taught you that, right? Your grandmother? Be kind. At the intersection, be kind. <laughs> Even at the Cherryville Light that they're probably never going to fix until the rapture happens. <laughs> be too late then. We laugh about it, but good creed, come on. This isn't rocket science, it's a stinking intersection. Anyway, be kind. Kev, be kind. Okay, I will. A little self-talk there. <laughs> Keep your promises. Have you ever had somebody break a promise to you? Have you ever broken a promise? Smile. If you can do this, say yes. Well, then show me. I'm from Missouri. Talk's cheap. <laughs> say please and thank you. Your mother taught you that. If she didn't, your grade school teacher, Right? You know that, Paul. Do your best. Work hard. Forgive and forget. I got to explain this one just for a second. We're going to hang out a minute here. Forget. You're a human. You can't forget the event, the moment, the time is on the calendar. It's in your memory. But you can forget in the sense like Lisa Beamer said, I'm not going to hold it against you in the sense of, I'm going to leave you with God now. 
That's forget. Love. Oh, man. Be happy. Say your prayers. Show grace. Speak truth. D.S. one time said to me, Kevin, speak the truth in love, quoting the scripture. If it's truth, you can say it. If you can say it in love, you can say it. But if you can't speak it in truth and love, don't say it. A lot of times in our culture, we, we say, I told them what I thought, and I felt better about it. Well, bless God and hate the devil, they feel worse. So what should you do? Speak the truth in love. So when I went to the doctor last couple of weeks ago for my checkup right here, who thought this would come up? In the conversation at the doctor's office, he said, you're doing, you're doing well. I like what's going on. But he said, you need to make sure you're laughing. He said, I watch cartoons. And then I wondered if I was visiting a clack. <laughs> he studies medicine at cartoons. Ah, Roadrunner, here we go. But you know what? I have been watching some more stuff that's been a little lighter. And some of you need to turn off the news. Because it's killing you. I watch just enough to know what's going on. I usually go on the headlines online, read the headlines, and move on. If I need to study something out, I get a hold of somebody smarter than me on the subject and ask them to research it and let me know what I need to know. Isaiah looked at the people and he said to people, they need help. He knew they needed change. In the epistle of James, it says in chapter 4 and verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your heart. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is what he says to us. If we would simply act like Christians, we'll stand out in the world in which we live. Because the world needs so much more of this today. And then Isaiah looked at his role. He looked at his role. He's looked at God. He looked at himself. He looks at others. And now he's considering the role that God would have him have. In verse 6, an angel takes a tongue, goes over to the flaming altar, picks up a coal from the altar, flies over to Isaiah and touches him on the lips, purifying his heart, purifying his conscience, purifying his motives, purifying his will, purifying his intent, giving him a new start, a restart, cleansing him. And in these moments of worship, he is changed in person. He is changed to accept his responsibility. He is changed to admit he has an influence. How are you leveraging your influence today? He admitted, I can do something about this. And so he hears the voice of God booming out, who will we send to go tell the people? That's what God is saying. And it wasn't because he had a midlife crisis. It wasn't because he hated that job and thought being a pastor would be easy. 
It wasn't because he just wanted out of whatever he was doing and had nothing else to do. So he said, it was in a moment of worship and transformation that there was a call sent out by God, perhaps specifically to him, perhaps in general. And in this moment, he answers by just lifting up his hand, if you will. And he said, here am I. Send me. You can use me. You can have me. You can do whatever you want to do with me. I'm available to go into the world of people that are drifting and help sound the call to God. Here am I. Send me. Flight 77 smashed into the Pentagon hammering down, killing everyone aboard, and many that were sitting at offices or tables of conference were killed instantly. Some crawled through the gnarling dust and debris and made their way toward an exit, and some made it out. There was one group in that great Pentagon building where they kept children in a daycare, preschool, little kids, infants and toddlers. And the director of the daycare was overwhelmed, not knowing what to do and how in the world they would be able to get everyone out. So in these moments of panic, a Marine stepped in the door and said, what do you need? He said, we're trying to get all of these infants and all of these toddlers out of here. We've got all these cribs and these bassinets, and we don't know how we're going to be able to do it. And the chaplain who related this story said that the Marine left and the daycare director felt, well, he's gone on to someone else more needy than us. We're going to have to figure this out ourselves. And she panics. And she's thinking, what in the world are we going to do? But in just a couple of minutes, the Marine reappears at the door. This time, as if the cavalry was coming, there were 40 other Marines behind him. And they came in and picked up cribs and picked up infants and picked up all the bassinets and everything they needed. And they began to make their way out of the Pentagon. And they went three quarters of a mile down the way till they could come to a place where they could set up the new temporary daycare. And they put the cribs in a circle and all the toddlers in there and all the infants in the cribs in that circle. And they were able to bring them out to safety. And ladies and gentlemen, we have gone in and we have seen our world on fire. Our world is adrift. I'm not calling you to a political party. I'm not calling you to take up arms. I'm calling you to pray. I'm calling you to be active for God. I'm calling you to live like a Christian in the world in which we live because the world is crazy and gone mad and they don't know who Jesus is. Let's be Jesus with skin on. Let's be Jesus in the marketplace, at the schools, in our homes, and it will start with you. It will start with you. It will start with you, and it will start with me. Until we decide we want to get serious about God, we're just going to complain about what's going on around us. When you get serious about God, it changes everything. It changes it all. Isaiah saw God. Isaiah saw himself. Isaiah saw his world. Isaiah said, here I am. Where are you? Father, in the name of Jesus, we give you thanks for the applicable word of God. Lord, we don't have to dig very deep and very far to really realize how relevant it is today. 
And then in your transforming power, here comes Isaiah saying, Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son. Telling us that there is one who is coming, who is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. Who would admonish us in the early chapters of Isaiah to not worry about all the conspiracy theories around us, but instead to look full on you. And who would tell us later in the book that there is one. There is one who would be led like a lamb, like a sheep to the slaughter. Because the Lord had laid the iniquities of us all on him. Thank you for this transforming moment of Isaiah that sets him up, tees him up to become a next level follower of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Lord, I pray you would raise up generals and colonels and many among the troops among us that we will be Christ followers so transformed into your image that we can't help but bear the marks of Christ out into the world in which we live through our attitudes, our conversations, our business transactions, just by the way we interact. May we be somebody who is a next level person. May people want what we have because we have been in your presence. We don't ask for this for our glory. We don't even ask this just so we could remain free, though we want to remain free. We ask this so Jesus Christ's death would have even greater impact. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen.